At the beginning of the 2010s, not many people who observed Missouri politics thought that Missouri's 2nd Congressional District was competitive turf. But that changed quite a bit when President Donald Trump took office and caused much of the suburban district to become swing territory. State Senator Jill Shoup is taking on incumbent Republican Congresswoman Ann Wagner for the right to represent portions of St. Louis, St. Charles, and Jefferson counties in the U.S. House. The Creve Corps Democrat joins me to talk about the big issues and how she plans to turn this district blue on the latest episode of Politically Speaking. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me today via Zoom, the Democratic nominee for Missouri's 2nd Congressional District, our guest today is... Jill Shoup, delighted to be here with you, Jason. Thank you for including inviting me. I think this is your sixth time on the show. And I think yeah, that there's I'm still waiting for that five time jacket, but I'm sure it just got lost somewhere in the mail. Along with the four time hat. But uh, enough jokes. Uh, this is one of the most uh, watched races in the entire state of Missouri. I think you knew going into this that this was going to be an expensive race. This was going to be a race where your record and your public life was going to be splattered on the airwaves. And this district is not a slam dunk for Democrats. So with that as a backdrop, I just want to ask you very simply why you decided to run for this seat. Well, I really appreciate the question. And I will tell you, I decided to run because... I don't feel, and I believe that the people of the second district don't feel as if our current congressperson is representing us in Washington. And I've seen what's been going on and um, that the Congresswoman Wagner has continuously continuously voted against access to affordable healthcare for the people of our state and nation. She has voted not to lower the cost of prescription drugs. She is really beholden to the special interests and corporate lobbyists and not to the people of this district. And I couldn't stand by and sit on the sidelines when I believe, and as I told you, many people believe and are enthusiastic for change because we are not being well represented in Congress right now. Healthcare is obviously a big issue because by the time this episode airs, President Trump will have likely nominated uh, Amy Barrett to the Supreme Court. That's We're recording this on Friday, but it's been widely announced that that's going to be the pick. And I think that the reason why that is intersecting with health care is there's this case about the Affordable Care Act that is currently pending on the Supreme Court. Um, My my question for you is that even though you won't, even if the House doesn't vote on Supreme Court nominees, this is just purely a symbolic question. But what do you think of the fact that Trump is nominating somebody so soon before the election. And what do you think the impact will be on things like health care, abortion rights, other things that you've been outspoken about in the past? 
Right. Well, you know, clearly the president has the right to make a nomination, but I will tell you, people in this district are paying attention. They are very worried about undermining the Affordable Care Act. They're worried that this new Supreme Court is not going to trust women to make their own health care decisions. They're tired of elected officials who really don't show integrity um, and those who say one thing and do another thing. So I think that it is clearly front and center on people's minds right now as um, the president moves forward. And frankly, the Republicans are not saying, no, this is hypocritical to what we've said in the past. We should not be going forward with this. So um, there are real concerns about what will happen. And I think that people were already interested in and invested in and enthusiastic about what they were going to do uh, between now and November 3rd when they cast their ballot. This has just made everything front and center again in the midst of a pandemic. So and, and throughout this show, I am going to have you respond to some things that Congresswoman Wagner has has thrown against you, just as when we have her on the show, which is likely going to be in October. I'm going to do the same thing for her. One of the things that she has put on the air is accusing you of supporting, quote unquote, Medicare for all, which is kind of a catch all policy that people like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez support. Um, it was based off a non-binding resolution that was, I guess, sponsored by somebody else in 2011 and 2012. I want you to set the record straight. What would be your mindset on you either like adding a public option to the ACA or, or, or going with Medicare for all? What's kind of your position on that particular point? Well, well, thanks for asking. I think I've been pretty clear um, that I do not support Medicare for all. What I do support is making sure this this goal, making sure that every American has access to quality health care that they can afford. So that's where my starting point is. And I think that the best way to get to that place is to allow people who have insurance and are happy with their insurance plans, maybe it's through their business, uh, to be able to stay on those insurance plans. Uh, for, for some businesses, they want to be able to offer that kind of benefit to their employees. I also believe some people like their private insurance, but there are others who need a public option. I think adding this public option is going to be the best way to reach that goal that says every American should be able to get the care that they need when they're sick, including in ways that Ann Wagner has not supported healthcare. People with pre-existing conditions need access to affordable care. Ann Wagner continues to vote against that. People need lower cost prescription drugs. Ann Wagner is beholden to some of the groups that she takes millions of dollars from, uh, big corporations, Wall Street, insurance companies, big pharma, she votes their way instead of voting to lower the cost of prescription drugs. This is something that we need for everyone in this country, but I don't believe that Medicare for all is the answer. And, and let me take that one step further. You know, Jason, you and many others who have watched me serve in the legislature over the past 12 years know that what I try to do is to work to find common ground, even with people with whom I disagree. Frankly, it's the only way in the Missouri legislature as a member of the minority party, one of eight Democrats in a Senate that currently has 31 people, the only way I'm able to get bills passed and substantive bills 
is to not only take into account what people on the other side of the aisle believe, but really hear them clearly and work with them. And I think the best decisions are made when the two sides come together, when people with different views and ideas come together to try to find that goal and figure out the ways to get there. That's how I've worked in the Missouri legislature. That's how I will work in Washington. And my opponent, quite frankly, votes 95% of the time with her party, with the president. So we have a real contrast on where we stand on healthcare, as well as how we work to get lasting legislation passed that benefits all the people we represent, not just some of them. And I don't want to get into like a legislative uh a legislative morass here. I just want a pretty quick answer on this because some of Wagner's allies have said, well, you've never passed a bill in the legislature. But what my assumption is you you have added some ideas to bills that Republicans have sponsored that have ended up being signed into law. That's what you're talking about in your ad. Yes. Yes. So, so I will briefly answer that. So as a member of the minority party, sometimes the best way and the only way in many cases to get my bill passed is to add it as an amendment onto a Republican bill, and I need to get the body to support it. So all of those bills that I've gotten passed, whether they're with my name on it, which is not very often, but with a Republican's name on it as the lead sponsor of the bill, that's how I get those things done. And I'm really proud of the work that I've gotten done working alongside my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. Let's let's go to COVID because that is also top of mind. It goes hand in hand with healthcare. If you had been in charge of the federal response to COVID, what would you have done differently than President Trump? Well, first of all, we need real leadership on this issue. We have got to get this virus under control. And the only way we can do that is to listen to the guidance and the, get the assistance from scientists and public health experts. We need to be doing what they tell us to do. They are studying and learning about how this virus works and how it's transmitted. You know what? Everybody wants our kids to be able to go back to school and we need to rebuild our economy. The common enemy here is not each other. It is the virus and we need to focus on getting rid of it. We needed strong leadership at the top of the ticket, whether that's the top of the ticket at the US level or here in the state. This is not a political game. This is a disease, and this is an enemy we have to be fighting together. So when scientists and doctors uh, tell us that we need to be wearing a mask to keep the stranger across the room from getting sick and maybe even dying, I'm going to be the first one there with my mask on. Those are the kinds of things we need to be doing. So Congress obviously did end up passing a lot of major coronavirus response legislation. The CARES Act comes to mind, and that's a massive bill, and we don't really have time to go through every intricate detail of that. But there were elements of that particular bill that that have had problems, like the the PPP, for example, has run out of money a bunch of times. There's, There's questions about, like, whether sending stimulus checks is as good an idea as maybe you know, direct subsidies to business to businesses to keep them on the payroll. Also, you know, unemployment checks being expanded on, on that front, on that particular bill, the CARES Act, which Congresswoman Wagner voted for, along with a number of other Republicans and Democrats. Would you have done anything particularly 
different that you would want to point out right now? Well, I think that, you know, this is, this is new for all of us. I think part of the answer to that question is we have to learn as we go. We have to correct our mistakes and we have to make sure we get things under control. But remember, the people back home, the people throughout our country, there are so many people who are suffering, people who are out of work, people who don't know where the money is going to come from for the next meal they need to put on the table for their children, who don't have access to daycare so that they can work for those jobs that are open. People are not able maybe to pay their rent or their utility bills. So it is complex and, and complicated. I think that what we need to do is take information we learned from the things that work when we pass the CARE Act, CARES Act, make continue those until we get this virus under control. And for the things that don't work, find new and different, better ways to go about it. You know, Congress has a recent bill that was, that was passed, um, the, the House does, and, you know, some people voted no, and then they went home. That, that, that bill needs to move forward and needs to be negotiated. We don't just say no and then go home when people back home are suffering. So I'm disappointed in the Republicans on the, on the recent bill that, that, is, uh, that is stuck in limbo while people are suffering back home. I want to talk about President Trump, because I think whether you win or lose this race is going to depend on what the second district voters think of the president. This is a district that has become probably more competitive because a lot of areas in the second district have soured on the president's agenda. But there's still parts of the district that clearly like him. So if he's reelected over Joe Biden, who has endorsed you, by the way, um, do you think that you'll be able to work with him in any reasonable capacity? Or do you think that it's going to be a similar situation that we saw earlier this year where, you know, before the pandemic, where the House, which is controlled by the Democrats, is just constantly at odds with them and very m- little meaningful things get done? First of all, let me say I am working to represent the best kind of district that we have. It's a really competitive district. It has Democrats and Republicans in probably equal numbers. And I've worked in that kind of district currently in my Senate seat and in my House seat. I love working that way because it forces you to really clearly hear and understand things from the people on the other side and to make the best decisions you can in representing all of the people in your district. So yes, if, if Donald Trump, if President Trump is reelected, I will absolutely work with him. I'm going to work with anyone on solutions to problems that are positively going to positively impact the people that I'm there to represent. So that would include, for example, areas of infrastructure. You know what, we need to get our roads and bridges up to par and you know what, we need to get a lot of people in our state and nation back to work. We can work together on things like background checks. I call those violent history checks. There was a time when the president said that he would be supportive of those. Let's get that kind of legislation that has the support of Americans on both sides of the aisle, including over 70% of the National Rifle Association members. So over 70% of the NRA believes that these violent background checks are important. Let's get things like that done. Let's get guns out of the hands of violent people. And you know what? I would. I think that the that the president and I could work together on the opioid crisis and get that under control. There are many ways that I think that I can work with whoever is in charge, um, whether it's within the House, 
uh, within the Senate or at the top of the ticket. And I look forward to that. Once again, I'm hopeful that Joe Biden will be the next president, but I will live and work hard on the, for the people of this district, no matter who wins that seat. Before we go to our break, and I know this seems like 10 million years ago, but when, when we have Congresswoman Wagner on the show, I am going to ask her to defend her decision not to impeach President Trump. And my question is, did you agree with her decision to acquit? Would you have voted differently? Well, you know, I wasn't there, so I didn't hear everything, but I thought that there was an extremely strong case made uh, that um, the Constitution was not upheld. And um, I think the better question is to, to, or the better answer that I could give you is that I am going to make sure that whoever it is, no matter which side of the aisle they're on, I am going to look at and listen to the evidence very carefully and make the decision that is in the interest of the American people and more specifically of the people that I represent in the second district. So that's what I'm gonna make sure that I do. And even if it bucks the party that I am there representing, I'm gonna do the right thing for the American people. We'll be right back after this short break with second district Democratic nominee and state Senator Jill Shoup. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Jill Shoup. She's a state senator for the 24th district and the Democratic nominee for the 2nd Congressional District. I want to talk about a realm of policy I've never talked with you about before because we don't usually need to talk about foreign policy when we're talking about Missouri state politics. But I do think it's important to flesh out your positions on some foreign policy and, and, and foreign trade issues because these could be decisions you would be making as a congressperson. Uh, one of the things I would be interested to hear is I think at this point in time, it's been almost 20 years since 9-11. We've been in Afghanistan for almost 20 years as well. And I wouldn't surprise me after 2021 if there's like a robust debate in Congress about whether to completely end our involvement there. And I know that it's been winding down in the last couple of years. What's kind of your mindset on that? I would be really interested to hear your perspective on the future of that conflict, which is a very important conflict for our country, but one that people on both sides of the aisle kind of want to see drawn down considerably. Right. Well, and I agree. There's no question that we need to draw down our presence in Afghanistan, but we need to do it in a way that prevents turning Afghanistan back into a safe haven for terrorists. So we need to do it with a lot of thought and care. We have an incredible military, but we also need to utilize diplomacy and, you know, support our allies to get our troops home. So we need to do it with thought and caution. And But yes, I agree that we need to draw down our presence in Afghanistan. What was your opinion of President Trump's tariffs on a number of commodities, whether it be like steel from Europe and China, or just his overall posture toward other countries? Because that is one thing that does seem to have some crossover appeal, like some Democrats like the fact that he's been more, quote unquote, protectionist on trade than, a, you know, like Bill Clinton was. But it, it also has kind of rankled some Republicans. Right. Well, I think that the trade system hasn't been fair and we need to take some measure, measures to protect our workforce and, and level the playing field. Uh, and that means going after the bad guys um, like China and, and not allies like Canada and the European Union. So we need to have a really smart strategy to do that. And what 
Donald Trump has done here has been um, a reckless use of tariffs that really isn't a smart strategy in how we go about that. Look, we are being viewed on the world stage, but the policies that we create and the way we handle ourselves and the way we make sure that our economy stays strong is by really doing this in a careful, thoughtful way. Um, we haven't presented a unified front and uh, instead this administration decided to kind of go it alone. And you know what, frankly, I think our farmers shouldn't be forced to pay the price. Their livelihoods shouldn't be politicized because of this administration's lack of a strategy and frankly, the Republicans inability to hold him accountable, including Ann Wagner. So we really have a long way to go to reestablish these trade policies around the world and to make sure that we are not doing things unilaterally. We are not a, a nation standing alone. We need to work well with others to make sure that our economy and our workers are staying strong. Probably the most important vote a member of Congress can make is a decision on whether to commit troops to a, a conflict, whether it be formally declaring war or ratifying some UN involvement, like Bosnia, for example. What would be your mentality when casting that decision? Would you cast yourself as more of a, a non-interventionalist Democrat? Or would there be instances where you feel like sending U.S. troops into a conflict would be, would be justified? I have got to tell you that authorizing um, military force uh, and sending American soldiers into harm's way is probably one of the most well, let me not just even say one of the most, probably the most solemn of decisions that our government has to decide to make. And my dad was a Marine veteran. Um, this kind of decision demands rigorous and thorough deliberation um, on whether or not we do send our men and women into combat. We have a, this amazing military, uh, but sending soldiers into harm's way I really need to make sure that all of the intelligence that we can gather, all of the information that we have um, is utilized before we make that decision. I would never say to you that I would never authorize the use of military force, but we need to make sure that we have a new authorization for the use of military force that puts real checks into place. Um, we need to have a clear objective and we need to know uh, what is going to keep us off the path of endless, endless wars. We need to know that when we go in, what we need the outcome to be so that we know when our time there is done. Congress has got to have a role in determining the most appropriate course of action. And the president cannot and should not make these decisions independently without intelligence and the voice of Congress with him. So that's pretty much how I feel about this, the most solemn decision that as a congressperson I might need to make. What committees would you want to serve on if you're elected to Congress? Well, so, you know, my the reason I got into um, politics in the first place was because of problems in my children's school. I'm a former teacher and a former school board member and education is what brought me here. So I would love to work on areas of education. I think the first thing that we do when I get to Congress, I'm hopeful, will be to find a way to end this virus. That's job one. 
Uh, I would also like very much part of what happens when we end the virus is um, economic development and activity. I would love to serve in the areas of healthcare, education, and economic development. And quite frankly, those are areas I serve on now in uh, Missouri Senate. And I am passionate about those areas. I have some knowledge within those areas. And if I had my druthers, when I go to Congress, those would be the areas I'd want to work. So let's talk about the campaign. I want to give you a chance to respond to a couple of uh, particular points that Congresswoman Wagner has made. One of the things that I want you to respond to that Congresswoman Wagner has attacked you on are some of the votes you made uh, regarding sex offenders. This is a similar attack that Jay Ashcroft used in 2014 uh, when you ran against him for the state Senate. And, and she is claiming, based off several votes, that you are soft on sex offenders. I want you to respond to that and also just explain why you voted in the way that you did on the particular matters that she's pointing out. I will tell you that that didn't work then when Jay Ashcroft used it, used it and it's not going to work now. This particular ad has been called misleading, mostly false, and a distortion by independent fact checkers and as well as some trusted St. Louis media sources. So, you know, here's what I believe about an ad that is a distortion or uh, false about my record is that I think that Ann Wagner's using this because she is attacking me instead of trying to defend or even put out her own record. And um, I don't think that that is how the people of this district want to see their elected officials behaving. I'm running this campaign that's focused on my record. I have dedicated my time in public service to really finding solutions for the people who've elected me to represent them. And frankly, I'm very proud of what I've been able to accomplish. And this is what I talk about with people when I virtually travel around the district. And as I said, this is quite frankly what people want to hear from the person they elect to represent them. These, I'm going to be real clear here, these negative attacks say much more about my opponent, Ann Wagner, than they do about me. And at the end of the day, I think voters can and will continue to see the sharp contrast between the campaigns we are running. Mine is a campaign with integrity and with a candidate who's willing to talk about the issues. And my opponent's is one that's really a desperate re-election campaign focused on smearing me at all costs. And I think the voters can see that clearly. The other thing I think that she's going to be hitting you hard on, and a lot of Democratic candidates are being attacked the same way, is that you support defunding the police, which is kind of a a word that is either taken literally by reducing the amount of money that goes to police or more philosophically about shifting some responsibilities away from police like mental health care and social services or whatnot. How how would you respond to that? Because I'm sure that that's going to be used quite a bit over the next month. Well, you know, let me be absolutely clear. I do not support defunding the police. That is just another falsehood. And as we've seen throughout this campaign, Ann Wagner has been more than willing to put out information that has been determined by outside independent sources that are nonpartisan to be mostly false and misleading. So I do not support defunding the police. If we can help police and the communities that they serve, 
operate better by building trust. I want to do that. Look, police aren't educated in how to deal with people with mental health issues. Uh, let's make sure that they have the support that they need and know when a case needs to be turned over to somebody who can deal with a person who is suffering from mental health issues that is getting them involved in behavior that is unlawful. Let's make sure that we are supporting our police and those people in charge to be able to do what they need to do to keep our communities safe and to build trust in our communities, which I think is an important piece of this. When Ann Wagner says uh, something about tying me to people who defund the police, she is just stating another lie, another mistruth. And um, frankly, I think the people of the second district deserve better than that from the person who represents them. I think your key to victory of beating Ann Wagner is winning St. Louis County. In 2018, Court Van Ostrand tied in St. Louis County, basically, but he lost in St. Charles County and Jefferson County. Um, and I think that one of the things that Ann Wagner is going to try to do kind of thematically is try to push back at the idea that you've been talking about on this show. She's going to say, you're not a consensus builder. You're just somebody who is way too far to the left based off X, Y, and Z. How are you going to convince some traditionally Republican voters that may have voted for her in the past in like Western St. Louis County and even St. Charles and Jeffco to vote for you? Well, I think that we've seen that things have changed over the years. And, and, and again, as you said, you know, Ann only won with 51% of the vote in 2018. Um, polls showed us tied now. And I will tell you that there are Republicans, people from both parties who have come forward and said they are supporting me. There is a real enthusiasm for change in this district. Part of it is because of where we stand on policies. And I think clearly my record shows that I am not an extremist. I have always represented split districts. And I think that my constituents will tell you that I have represented them well. Uh, I think that the difference, another difference between Ann Wagner and me, and you know, COVID makes it hard because we're being so careful and making sure that we're not exposing anybody to the virus, making sure that we're socially distancing, doing many, many, many of our meetings through the Zoom platform. Um, but I think that what people know is that throughout her term in Congress over the last eight years, she has never held one in-person town hall meeting. There's a real stark difference between, between Ann Wagner's record in that way and mine. Part of what I see as my great pleasure and major responsibility is to reach out to make myself available in person to talk to the voters and let them know what's on my mind and how I'm planning to vote. But more importantly, to hear from them, to understand what the problems are they're facing and to listen to them and to take their voices with me every time I go back to Washington. It's a real difference in both substance in terms of the issue and style in terms of making sure that people have a representative who they can trust to represent their interests in Washington. Well, Senator, thank you so much for joining us. We have reached out to Congresswoman Wagner, and I'm expecting that we're going to have a show with her sometime in October. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people either follow you on Twitter or find out more about your campaign on, on the World Wide Web? 
Yes, thank you so much, Jason, for having me. At Jill Shoup on Twitter and jillshoup.com on the World Wide Web. Thanks for this great opportunity. I hope to talk to you as again, uh, number seven, as the next congresswoman from the second district. You, you will get a seventh show either way. <laughs>